whether your life is circumstantially on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether you can see the way through or you have no understanding whatsoever of what's going on, I want to assure you, he always has a plan. God always has designed every circumstance in your life, every pit that you walk through, every bit of success you experience, every relationship that works, every one that doesn't, God always has designed everything in your life, if you're his, if you follow him. Now, that's pivotal in the life of every believer. Here's why. Because most of us are going to face adversity tomorrow, probably even this afternoon sometime. And because that's true, we need to know going into every situation, he's got designed to this. Even if I can't see it, can't get my mind, my arms, my hands around it, he's got designed to this. I have to know and believe that. Why? Because God's word says so. This book is full of story after story after story of basically misfits. That God says, I want to come around you, do something in you and through you to those around you so that two things happen. You grow and I get glory. And God, will, he, he's designed every circumstance you walk through for those two things, your growth, his glory. Now, if we believe that going in, it makes a huge difference in how we face adversity. It makes a huge difference in how we see the circumstances that are coming our way that we didn't, we didn't bring our way, we didn't want our way. And he's designed that either allowed it or directly caused it for our good, our growth, and his glory. And if we believe that, it, as I say, it changes how we view those kinds of things because... We understand going in, good or bad, right or wrong, adversity or, or blessing, God always has a plan. Turn to 1 Kings, if you will, chapter 18. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time in chapter 18 and 19 today in 1 Kings, looking at the story of Elijah and bringing things to the nation of Israel to a head. Elijah was a patriot. We just experienced the, our, our walk through the 4th of July here a couple of days ago, and uh, we saw the this this nation was brought together with incredible design. Um, my, m- most of my family, uh, with the exception of Leanne, who had to come back and tend to her mom, went yesterday, to, or a couple of days ago, but spent yesterday, most part of yesterday, at the Ark Adventure in uh, Williams something, Williamstown, Williamsburg, um, Kentucky. A uh, little small little town in the middle of nowhere. And I was expecting uh, to be impressed with that because I heard some stories about it. It blew me away. Uh, in fact, I strongly endorse that to you. If you ever have the chance to get there, it was put together and orchestrated and founded and put in place by Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. And as I, I've built a lot of things in my life, built quite a few things, and I was walking through looking at the, the design of that structure and, and, and the and for those of you who know some things about building, it's, it's old post and beam construction. And so I was walking through looking at the design of that, and, and somewhere I think on the second or third level, there was a board that lists the people that helped with this, that, and the other. It says, Architect Anonymous. What architect would not want his name on this dude? Because this is it's incredible design work, incredible uh, work to, to hold a structure of this size, the largest wood frame structure in the world, to hold a structure of this size in place, <clears throat> I would want my name on it if I were an architect, but it just said anonymous. And that kind of struck me. Because as I saw the design of that place and the detail uh, with which he went through uh, how that was put together, I, I came away thinking, uh, this guy has to, has to first of all know what he's doing and probably is a believer that understands God has designed the things. And so 
all that he was given for, for the most part, few exceptions, but all he was given for the most part in Genesis is the dimensions, the overall dimensions, the overall length, which is more, almost two football fields long, the overall width, which is almost a football field wide, uh, and then the rest of that is kind of at the discretion of the, the person's imagination to figure out how in the world we get we get, have space for that many animals and how we're going to feed them all, what we're going to do with their waste, when how we're going to water them all, and it's just incredible detail in that place. I encourage you to go and see it sometime if you have time. But uh, I came away thinking, man, what an what an, what an incredible designer thought this out and put this together in practice. And, and there's a video of how that how it's built and it comes it comes to fruition. So I encourage you to see that. But I came away believing and knowing and thinking about this message today, thinking <clears throat> what incredible design it took to put this edifice in place. Yeah, what incredible design it took to, to put the chromosomes in your body and the design to your DNA, being uniquely you, and you're the only one in the world with it and like it. And how we've talked about laminin before and the cell structure of our chromosomes, how God weaves himself even into those places, into those very minute and minuscule, seemingly, situations, yet... He has designed every little thing. I want us to see four things today from Elijah's example about the plans of God. And the first one is this. The plans of God usually involve a choice. Now, when you read with me through this passage in chapter 18, it's a little more lengthy reading than we normally have on Sunday, but I want you to see this story unfold because I think every detail of it is, is amazing. Verse 20 down through verse 39 together. <clears throat> So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. Let him cut it into pieces, put it on the wood, but not, on, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but will not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response, no answer. They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed. And they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him. And he <clears throat> repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. And Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two, two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. 
Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, are Lord, you, you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The first thing I want us to see here is that the plans of God usually involve a choice. He says here, how long will you waver between these two opinions? How long will you straddle the fence thinking, this is right, yet this can be right? This is wrong, yet this can be wrong as well. How, how long will you waver between these two opinions and straddle yourself in this place? Because Israel had stopped, for the most part, had stopped worshiping God and were, were worshiping Baal at that time. And Elijah's preaching had been for Israel to repent. And God uses them here to bring this rebellion to a head to bring the nation of Israel back to himself and to bring this to a head with this, with this example of this sacrifice here. And so as I said a moment ago, him being one of them, being a patriot more or less, to say, I have burden for you. God just, didn't just send me to you as a stranger. He sent me to you as one of his own to say, we need to repent and turn back to God. He himself being one of them here, uh, he, he brings this message from God. <laughs> there was nothing politically correct about it whatsoever. Uh, he says, how long will you waver between these two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Short, succinct message. Nothing, nothing politically correct about it all. Get in, get out. That's, that's what kind of, in essence, what he's telling them here. And so, so he says, uh, uh, there's, there's no, we're not going to form a committee to study whether it's feasible or not. We're not going to sit back and analyze it to death. You're in or you're out. You're with God or you're not. Boy, our culture needs to hear that kind of teaching today. Our culture needs to hear what do you believe? Why do you believe it? Get in, get in with it, or get out with it. And the kingdom needs that as well. Uh, but as I said, he, he says here to them, either you're in or you're out. And friend, you and I need to learn that, that simple choice every day as we look our, 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 at ourselves in the mirror every morning. I'm either with him today or I'm not. I'm choosing to walk in his way today or I'm going my own way today. And it's a simple choice that we make every day. I'm going to follow the God of myself I'm going to follow Jehovah today. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to guide or, or follow his guidance and his direction in my life where I'm going to navigate that myself. And that's a simple choice every day that you and I can make, but we have to make it every day. Secondly, the plans of God not only involve a choice, but secondly, they usually involve evidence. Look at verses 37 to 39 with me again. He says, answer me, O Lord, so these people will know that you are Lord, you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil and licked up the water in the trench. The fire of the Lord fell here. He says the prophets of Baal had prayed and cried out basically all day long. They're dancing, they're praying, they're, they're yelling at God, they're cutting themselves with knives and sheaths and nothing. Crickets here, what's going on. And so he steps forward, says this brief brief prayer to, prayer to God and, and even before that pours four large pitchers of water and, and, and the size of the pitcher that he's referring to there is about a 30 gallon at one, one point at a pop four of those over the top of the altar runs over the over the bull over the over the wood over the sacrifice over the altar itself down and fills up the trench he's dug around it 
The fire of the Lord comes down, soaks up all of that, consumes all of it, and, and licks the water up in the trench. Now, if you were looking at that scene today, stepping in the middle of that as an Israelite, <laughs> I'm never wavering again, are you? I, I'm never thinking again, and is there anybody else but God? Is there anybody else to follow but Jehovah? Yet he says there were 7,000 that were a remnant that followed God out of that, out of that situation that day. Um, so, he, he, again, it comes down, consumes up everything, and gets their attention very quickly. Uh, and he, he puts this plan in place because of what, uh, the latter part of what we just read there in verse 21, uh, the, Elijah says, if God's God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. And the last line of that verse says, but the people said nothing. They said nothing. They made no decision in the moment. And so this, this is executed and carried out for their benefit so they'll see who God is and, and, and follow him, that there is uh, enough evidence to follow the Lord. What I want to submit to you today is each, each of you and I have enough evidence in this book to follow him daily and exclusively and, and totally, uh, day after day. There's enough evidence in this book, but I'll submit also to you that in addition to this book, there's probably enough evidence in your life I, I constantly refer to these markers that God places in our world, in our life. It says, I showed up here and there and here and there. And so here's this track record you have of the evidence of my word and the evidence of my being involved in your life and in your world to say, either I'm with you, either you're totally dependent on me, either I've got it all or I've got none of it. Which is it for you? Is, is there enough evidence? And I would submit to you that most of us who are Christ followers, the answer to that is an overwhelming yes, yet... We choose still to follow our own way and go after our own path instead of following him totally independently and, and laying down and laying aside every other God, every other thing we put in, in, in his way that, he, that severs our relationship with him. Um, so this question comes uh, to my mind, hopefully to ours this morning. What has to be laid down for that to happen? What has to be put out, put out of our world and out of our, out of our lives to stop wavering between these two opinions? What do we have to lay down for that to, to, to give reluctant voice and reluctant action to again and again and again? Uh, there, our, our world and our culture clearly has an opinion about you, and their opinion about you is this. Go ahead and believe what you want. Just keep your mouth shut. Keep all that. In fact, you can even mention God if you want to occasionally. But this Jesus stuff, that's getting pretty radical. Believe that if you want to. Keep that inside the walls of your church if you want to, but keep that stuff to yourself. Don't, don't share that with anybody else. And I'm going to tell you, these kinds of stories, now God may not have licked up all the water in your, in your trough yet, but he's done enough in your life for us to tell the story of what he's done, even if it's something minor by comparison. Uh, the plans of God always involve a choice, usually involve evidence. Thirdly, I want us to look at this text of uh, Matthew chapter 19, if you will, with me, verse 11, down uh, through verse uh, uh, 16 together. 1 Kings 19, 11. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then said a voice to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, 
I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Yehu of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Now, in this text, I want to see a couple of things. First is this. The plans of God usually involve revelation. They involve a revelation. Look at 11 and 12 with me again. He says, go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. In essence, you're about to see something physically that's going to change you and radically alter your world. After the fire came a gentle whisper, he says here. Notice here the, the power of God in the wind, initially in the wind, and this is way more powerful than hurricane force winds or, or, tor- or tornadic winds. In fact, it rips a mountain in two. It tears a mountain apart. And shatters rocks on the ground. Uh, that's how powerful this wind is. So he, he, since he, this wind display happens, and this earthquake dis- display happens, and this fire display happens, but after every one of us says, "But the Lord was not in the wind." I think it's an incredible statement. Yet here's this huge earthquake that shakes it, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then fire comes down from heaven, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, a gentle whisper. That's where the Lord was found. That's where Elijah found the Lord. In this revelation of a whisper that came to him, I think most of us are, in our cultures at least, are looking for a revelation from God today. And, and, and God is, I think, turning nature on its ear to get our attention, not to speak to us necessarily, but to get our attention that he is God. Our, our friends would have us believe that uh, climate change or global warming is occurring, and, and I'm not going to get into that argument with you, but I'm going to tell you this. I know the God of the climate. And he can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do, whatever, in whatever circumstances he wants to do with it to get man's attention. I believe that's exactly what's happening in our world today. What we're seeing around us is God saying, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, and you are not. I think he's clearly uh, trying to speak to us through nature today and get his attention. He did that to Elijah, but he didn't speak through nature. He spoke in a gentle whisper, he says here. He did that to get Elijah's uh, attention. It's a... Uh, and I would submit to you that's how he more, more than often wants to speak to us. It's, it, it's in the still place. It's in the quiet place where he doesn't have to compete with the clutter in your life. In fact, he refuses to do that. He refuses to be an also-ran in your life. He refuses to be something you can set on the shelf and pick, pick up and set, pick up and set. He refuses to be that. He wants, through the gentle whisper, you to hear his voice and, and remove the clutter. Either do one of two things. Either pause it or purge it in the clutter in your life. Set it aside altogether or stop it for the moment. Say, God, i got to hear your voice. i got to know what you want in this situation. I'm not seeing it. i got to know what you want in this situation because I don't want to blow it. I want to bring glory to you. I want to bring growth to me for it to be my, for my good. Stop me in this moment so that I hear your voice. I'm in mean, a... I'm in a quiet enough place, both physically and emotionally, to hear your voice, for you to speak to me in that, that gentle whisper that says, here's what I want for you. And when he's got our attention, he whispered us in those ways. Your problem and my problem, my problem especially, is in my busyness. I'm trying to hear God through the busyness. And he says, I'm not going to compete with that. Slow down, stop, put that on pause, or purge it altogether, because I don't want to see that. I don't want to compete for that. In fact, I refuse to do so. 
But when he has our attention, when he's not competing to be heard, we'll hear his voice again and again. But he, he refuses to, to be a competitor for our time, for our attention. Finally, uh, the plans of God not only involve a choice, involve evidence, involve re- revelation, but the plans of God usually involve replication. Look at verse 16 of chapter 19 with me. He says here, Also anoint Yehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint, watch, Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to, to succeed you as prophet. Anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. The plans of God, and we've shared this uh, over the last couple of weeks, not in this context, but the plans of God in your life seldom involve just you. Now, they are for you, but they seldom involve just you. It's always beyond us and around us. And that's what's happening here. Uh, it's, it's not just to be isolated to us, involve us. They're usually about those around us as well and those who will come after us, those who are present with us and those who are future in our, in our future that will, that will come after us as Elisha did Elisha. So how do we see that? And walk in that place. Well, I think you have to go to verse 15. He says, verse 15, go back the way you came, Elisha, or Elijah. Go back the way you came. What's he saying? He's saying, Elijah, revisit those things. Revisit the process of how God has shown up in your life again and again to know that I'm, I'm with you. I've got every, I, I, every, every decision you're about to make has been made by me already. I want you to see it. Go back and revisit that. Great counsel to you and I today. If we're trying to find God's will, his plan for our life, go back in our past to see how has God spoken to me before? What methods has he used? What, what scripture has he used? What verses has he used? What people has he used to speak truth into my life consistently again and again? And as I revisit those times and those circumstances, I'll start to see some patterns develop. When I start to see those patterns develop, I'll start to be reconciled with and come away with, this is how God works to me or speaks to me and works in me. He does that uniquely to us and for us, and he wants to do that not only for us but through us. But you'll see those patterns start to develop. And as you see those patterns develop, those will help you anticipate what God is up to in your present circumstances and what he's about to do in your future as well. Uh, that's, that's how he has shown up and, and has done the things he's done by way of prayer, by way of his word, by way of, of his spirit. And as I said, as these, as these patterns develop over time, they help us to, to see more clearly in this time and in the future time what God is up to. Because here's what he's done. Here's what he's doing. And there's what he's likely going to do. Why? Because here's what he's done and here's what he's doing. We can more likely see what God is up to in the future because of our past and going back the way we came. The exact message he told Elijah. Go back and revisit that, Elijah. Go back and see yourself, how I've spoken to you, how I've worked in your life. That's going to tell you what I'm up to. That's going to reveal to you Elijah is the one you're going to pass the baton to. Do that excitedly, not begrudgingly. Do that faithfully, not wondering, can he cut it? Because look at what I've done in you. That's what I'm going to do with Elisha as well. Elisha's the one coming after you. God uh, God had planned uh, for Elisha to be the, the succession plan for Elijah. And so he discovers that here today and, and, and walks in that in, in that moment. And I would submit to you this t- t- today as well that uh, God has a plan for you, and he's got a plan for America. He's got a plan for your neighborhood. He's got a plan for the city of Knoxville. God has designed everything he does. I want to encourage you today to to be the Elijah that says, I'm going to find that, and I want to help other people find it too. I want to discover his will and his plan and his way for me, and I want to help those around me see that more clearly for themselves. And so as we wrap up, I I would 
ask you this question and give you this observation. Have you recognized and are you walking in God's plan for your life? Do you see it? Can you put pen to paper and define, here's what God has for me. He's got this for me and this for me and this for me. Here's clearly what I know God has placed me here to do and accomplish and be and become. Here are his plans for me. Um, If the answer to that is no, that's okay. So long as you realize that he has a plan and you're committed to to discovering it with it. I, I I would encourage you to do this. Stay with us. Stay with us this, this month. Because if, you, if your answer today is, I believe he's got a plan. I just don't know what it is. And I've seen a glimpse of this or that from time to time. I just can't put the pieces together. I want, by way of God's word, for him to, 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 to help find you in a place of, of hunger and searching after him this month to say, I know he's got design to this. I know he's got design to me. I want to find that. I want to walk in that place. If you don't know the answer to that today, or if, 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 you, if, it's, if it's muddled pieces that you can't put together, stay with us this month. He, will, he wants you to know that. Here's, here's the thing the enemy will tell you. That is that you don't know enough verses. You don't give enough money. You don't have enough talent. You don't have a, you're not enough, period. That's what the enemy wants you to hear today. And God's dangling no carrots out, of, out there to say, if you know more and do more, I'll show you more. That's not how he works. He wants to show us more, and he wants us, for us to know more, but we'll find that in the consistencies of how he's dealt with others here in this book and in the consistencies of how he's dealt with us day after day after day. We'll discover that when we go back and revisit our past to find out what's going on in our present and what God is up to in our future because he has designed everything, and he wants us to know it. Let's pray.